Hello and welcome to another edition of St. Pete's on Repeat, the online sermon archive of St. Peter Lutheran Church in St. Albert, Alberta, Canada. This sermon was preached on December 6th, 2020 for the second Sunday in the season of Advent and is based on the gospel for that Sunday, Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey, and this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of our Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, Video conferencing has become a normal and nearly essential part of our lives these last nine months. It's been a blessing for worship and Bible study, for council meetings and conferences, for chats with the family and scavenger hunts with friends. I mean, my wife and I just had a virtual baby shower yesterday. Video conferencing can be great. But as much of a blessing as it's been, it also has this uncanny ability to showcase the most unflattering and unattractive sides of us. If you're not careful, on your Zoom call, people will be able to see the mess on your desk or the stack of dirty dishes in the sink. Your phone or computer can catch you at the most awkward angles and in the most unflattering light. Video conferencing shows you just as you really are, warts and all. And you know, after reading Mark chapter 1, I kind of think that John the Baptist was the first century equivalent of a Zoom call. He was brutally honest and highly skilled at showing people what they really looked like. Mark tells us that John was the promised prophet who was sent to prepare the way for the Lord. The prophecy from Isaiah goes like this, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. The picture here is of a king making his way across the desert to visit his subjects. A herald would typically go ahead of him announcing his arrival and, and helping the people make their preparations. Part of that was, was purely logistical, make the way straight. So you can imagine them, them filling in potholes so that his chariot wouldn't be bouncing up and down. You can imagine them picking up litter along the side of the highway to, to make it look a little less trashy. You can imagine them rolling stones out of the way so that the king doesn't have to walk or ride around or over any obstacles. Of course, all of this was figurative, prophetic language for how we can prepare, not our homes, but our hearts, 
for the coming of Christ. Really, that's why John set up camp out in the wilderness. It, it was a visible parable to describe the desolate wasteland of our hearts. We're not always as polished and perfect as we like to think we are. That's why John came preaching a baptism of repentance. Because we have sins to confess. John's job was really to hold up a mirror or a webcam to let people see who they really were. He was there to preach of repentance. That's, that's one of those big church words. The picture here is of a complete change, a 180-degree turn. It, it, it speaks to the condition of our hearts and, and how desperately we need to change. And, and so the first part of repentance is re realizing that something is wrong. Sometimes God has to shine a light on our hearts with his law to remind us that we're not as good as we think we are. That's what John was doing out in the desert. But what's interesting, at least to me, is that Mark doesn't give us a single example of any of the people who came out to see John. All we have is this very general statement the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins. But not a single sin is mentioned specifically. Sometimes I think it would have been easier to have specifics. God, just tell me what it is that you don't want me to do. But in this case, I appreciate the lack of information because it prevents us from looking down on those people. It leaves no room for self-righteousness that's tempted to say, oh man, I, I would never be caught dead doing what they were doing. Or, I may not be perfect, but at least I don't do that. Instead, hearing John call these people to repentance is kind of a way for us to take stock of our own lives. Think of it this way. If every minute of your life was live-streamed, and broadcast for the world to see, and then it was played back for you, how many times would you cringe? At your choice of words, in a tense moment, at your inaction when someone really needed you, at the kinds of things you think and say and do when no one is watching you. I don't want to be in the Truman Show. I'm glad no one's filming me or my life. But, you know, that's the purpose of God's law, to, to show us those unflattering and unattractive moments when our guard is down and we're unpolished and unfiltered. The law shows our sin. And even though Mark doesn't give us any specific examples, God's Ten Commandments give us a pretty good place to start. In our hymnals, even, we have this helpful page. It's called the personal preparation for Holy Communion, and it walks us through how we can hold up the mirror of the law to our own hearts. Here's just one part of it. Question. What should I do if I'm not aware of my sins or am not troubled by them? Answer. I should examine myself according to the Ten Commandments and ask how well I carried out my responsibilities as a husband or wife or single person, as a parent or child, 
an employer or an employee, a teacher or student? Have I loved God with all my heart, gladly heard his word and patiently endured affliction? Have I been disobedient, proud or unforgiving? Have I been selfish, lazy, envious or quarrelsome? Have I lied or deceived, taken something not mine or given anyone a bad name? Have I abused my body or permitted indecent thoughts to linger in my mind? Have I failed to do what is right and good? You know, the point of this line of questioning is help, to help us arrive at the first part of repentance, to realize that something is wrong inside. But the point of John's preaching wasn't to stop there, but, but to preach a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And that's the second part of repentance, asking God for forgiveness. That, that's the difference between John the Baptist and guys like Sasha Baron Cohen or gotcha journalists who just want to catch you in a compromising position and then share it with the world and glory in your shame. That's not why John preached repentance. It wasn't to put people down but to prepare them to be lifted up by the gospel, to help them understand and appreciate how much they needed God's forgiveness and, and then to point them to it. That's why John baptized people. When they confessed their sins, he washed those sins away in the waters of the Jordan River. And it wasn't because the Jordan River was so clean. In fact, it had a reputation of being kind of dirty. No, the reason baptism washed sins away was because of the promise of God. And it's the same for you and me. The, the water in our baptismal font isn't holy, but it does connect you to Jesus. The pastor doesn't have the power to forgive sins, but he does have the ability and responsibility to point you to the one who does. And to point you to Jesus, just like John did. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one with the power to forgive. Because Jesus never had a reason to repent or any sins to confess. He could have had a camera crew follow him every minute of his life and and you wouldn't have seen anything shameful or sinful. If it were possible to read his thoughts and record them in a book, we wouldn't read of any lust or greed. Jesus had such powerful self-control that he was able to resist every sin. But Jesus also had such powerful love that he was willing to sacrifice himself for you to throw away a perfect life and die on a cross for a bunch of sinners like us so that he could promise you forgiveness for your sins. That's why in our church there's a river connecting the baptismal font to the cross. Because it's Jesus' holy precious blood that washes our sins away. That's why today we're invited to take and eat Jesus' body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Because Jesus lived a perfect life as your substitute and, and died an innocent death in your place, God has forgiven all your sins. 
And now, through his means of grace, through the gospel in word and sacrament, Jesus continues to come to you in love to announce that every unpolished, unfiltered, unflattering, and unattractive moment in your life has been wiped clean and redeemed in Jesus. Now when God looks at you, he doesn't see any warts, any flaws, any garbage in your background. He only sees the perfection of Jesus applied and attributed to you by faith. It must have been hard for the people to go out to hear John preach in the wilderness and be reminded of all the many and varied ways that they fall short. But at the same time, what relief to hear that, that we have a Savior in Jesus. The one who came shortly after John demonstrated his power to forgive by, by dying on a cross for us and then rising from the grave in victory. He paid the price for our sin and, and promises us forgiveness and salvation. He promises us that although he is gone from this world, he is coming back. And when he does, he wants us to be ready. So prepare the way for the Lord. You don't have to have a spotless house. You don't have to be put together or have your life in order. You don't even have to have a pure heart. You just have to have a repentant one that recognizes that something is wrong with us, but that rejoices that we have a Savior in Jesus. It's good for us to look in the mirror from time to time. It's, it's healthy to see ourselves in unflattering and unattractive light because it points us to Christ, who came the first time to take our sins away and is coming again to take us home to heaven. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen.